0: on to them. Two and a half hours later, they weren't finished. It was well after midnight. The restaurant had closed. The owner of the restaurant had come and joined the conversation. <laughs> and the waitress was staying on her own time to be a part of the discussion as well. They were begging us to stay because they had some more to tell us. But we had to go. It was after midnight. We had an early plane. It was needed to go. But let me tell you something. I learned more in that two and a half hours than I would have learned in two and a half years sitting on evangelism committee meetings. If you will just listen to people, they will practically tell you how to lead them to Christ. The amazing part about that discussion, as I reflected on it, 75% of what they were suggesting was totally doable, without any compromise whatsoever to the essence of the gospel. Now, 25% of their suggestions did need some theological screening. But 75% was totally doable. Listening leads to effectiveness. That's a very, very important concept. Number four, shifting gears can avoid stalling out. Now, when you're driving a car and you have a manual transmission, (coughs) What gear do you start in first gear now? Now, stop me if I go too fast for you. OK, oh, I forget this is a German audience. You go quicker. OK, when you get going in first gear, then you're ready to shift. What gear do you go to next? Second gear, then follow third gear. How many are picking up the pattern? Good. Two of you. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> Excuse me for having a little fun with you. You know, Americans have to have fun. Otherwise, you know, they don't learn. Now, what this says is you have to shift leadership styles as the church grows. When you start out, you need to start in first gear. And in church planting, that means that you're doing. Because when you're the only one there... If you need a postage stamp, you've got to go to the post office to get a postage stamp. And so doing is the first stage. Second gear is delegating. And so you begin to give off tasks to other people. Third gear is developing leaders. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens to you. One time I was very, very discouraged and I didn't know what to do. And uh, so I began to pray and I uh, began to ask God for help. And have you ever had one of those days when it it doesn't seem like God's listening? I mean, sometimes, you know, you feel like your prayers bounce off the ceiling. We have that expression, bounce off the ceiling. I was in such bad shape, my prayers weren't even reaching the ceiling. Kind of this feeble prayer that went up, you know, this stuff. And I'm crying out for God to help, and he doesn't seem to be listening. And the more he doesn't seem to be listening, the madder I'm getting. And so... I was getting more and more discouraged. And then finally the thought came to me. Bob, why don't you sit down and draw an organizational chart of the church? Totally strange thought to get in the midst of prayer, in the midst of reading the Psalms, the life or tough Psalms, of course. And my first thought was really this. That sounds intriguing. Besides, God isn't answering my prayers, so I might as well do that. So I drew the chart. Bob? Threw my pencil down on the paper and said, no wonder I'm tired. See, I thought I had a spiritual problem. That's why I was praying, reading the Bible, looking for unconfessed sin, everything that you do to try and figure out spiritual problems. I just had a simple management problem, just like Moses had a management problem. And he had a few more than 27 people that were trying to report to him directly. I was exhausted with 27. I can't imagine what Moses would have had the problem. Now, the solution is very easy, isn't it? I had to reduce the number of people I directly talked to and put some other people in charge of other things. Now, in church planting, this kind of catches up to you. Here's how it happens. You start something, you find somebody and put them in charge of that. Then you go start something else and put them in charge of that. Then you start something else and put them in charge of that. Start something, and put somebody else in charge, and so on. You get all the way down. And have you seen the circus, you know, where you get the plates that are all spinning?
1: And the clown is
0: trying to go around keeping all the plates going. They cut on. Yeah, they got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens to you in church planting unless you begin to develop other people. And so those are important to shift the gears as you grow. In fact, I can tell you this that your leadership style that makes you successful during one phase of your church's development is precisely not the leadership style that will make you successful in the next phase of your development. The fifth thing, systems help ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I'm not going to elaborate this point because much of what I'm going to be talking about in the next several days are going to be examples of systems. All of this is to say that if you only, uh, if you don't have systems, then only the people that are the superstars can function well. But if you have a system, regular people can be involved and and see phenomenal things begin to happen. And I will not uh, go much beyond that because there's many systems we're going to be talking about. Number six is anticipate a leadership challenge. In other words, just because you start a new church and everybody agrees at the beginning does not mean that at some point you're going to have a test of that vision. It is more likely to have this challenge happen if you build off of a group of Christians Uh, because of the differing values. But even when you build off of non-Christians, you will face a leadership challenge. I have not come across a church planting situation where there was not a challenge to the leadership in the first uh, five years. The interesting thing I have observed is the, the more successful the church plant is... The longer it takes before the leadership challenge comes, the slower the process of the church plant, the quicker the leadership challenge will come. I had a couple of significant leadership challenges. One came about two years into the church planting project. We were growing quite well. We were reaching unchurched. People, Uh, there was a good uh, momentum and a good feeling. We had someone become a part of our church that was trying to get another church started in our area. And for many years, he tried to get this church started, but it never grew out of a Bible study phase. And after several years of trying, finally gave up. He came from a background that would be very, very similar to yours. In fact, you might even say he was a close relative, good guy. He became an elder in our church because he had good character and uh, he was a, a leader type. He had a different philosophy. We spent the next two years in our board meetings making lots of discussions about whether the church should be a lay led church or a pastor led church. He had some significant questions as to whether the pastor should be the shepherd or the leader. And you understand there's a big difference between those two roles. And so there were many, many discussions and it was a very challenging time because that was right at the time we were making a transition board being more pastor and staff led than being lay led and i had uh, often would have a meeting before the meeting with him a couple out couple of days before taking him out for breakfast or for lunch and talk about what we're going to talk about at the meeting then we would have the meeting then i'd have the meeting with him in the parking lot after the meeting and then a follow up meeting a breakfast or lunch several days later to talk about what happened at the last meeting Sorry. and i did this for 2 years and that's how we... he was a pain And I learned a lot from that brother, and I thank God for him because he helped me to understand more of the heart of a pastor. We had some disagreements on whether we should be all that committed to church growth or not, and we had disagreements on the role of the pastor. But that dear brother helped helped me and God used him to develop much character in my life and used him to sharpen my thinking. It was interesting that a couple of years later, uh, he finally came to me and says, You know, Bob, I really believe that all this talk about church growth and leadership is, is good. And I believe that, that God wants the church to grow. The very next week, he got a letter from another church and now has a very effective ministry as an associate pastor in an evangelical free church somewhere in Northern California. We can learn a lot from our critics. And that's a, that was one of the leadership challenges It was not the most significant challenge. There was a more significant challenge four years into the church plant. Every year as I would pray and think about the upcoming year, I would get a sense from the Lord as to what the theme was going to be of that next year. And in prayer, the Lord would impress upon me a a key thought or a key idea that would help to, to organize my priorities and where we should be going. I remember it very vividly what the theme was for the next year that the Lord seemed to give me in prayer. The reason I remember it, it was so strange. The, the sense I had was that the Lord said, Bob, this is going to be the year that determines whether this church will remain a progressive church or will become a traditional church. The reason why it was so strange is we were not in any stretch of the imagination a traditional church. We were very progressive in what we were doing in terms of our ministry. And, and so much so that even those that came from my own denomination, the conservative Baptists, those people very likely would not stay in our church because it was not at all like what they were used to. So after receiving that in prayer, I, I, I sensed that it was really God... But it didn't make any sense whatsoever. In January, there was about five families that came from another church. And they came in a group, went through our membership class, and became members of our church. Within two months, they were having meetings, prayer meetings. What they were really doing is plotting the takeover of our church. And they wanted to make our church a traditional church. And they began to talk with our people. And they won their trust. And they began to win influence. And there was much discussion about various things, some of the most painful times. Because even people that had been with me for several years were starting to get drawn in. Now, hear me well. I have nothing against traditional churches. But in our community, there were plenty of traditional churches if you wanted to go to one. There were very few that were doing what we were doing. I remember realizing that this was getting very serious. And no matter how many meetings and conversation I had, I realized that we were going to lose unless God intervened. And I remember praying this prayer very, very vividly. I've only prayed this prayer a few times in my life because it's a very serious prayer. I said, Lord, either change their hearts or get them out of here. Now, you realize when you pray a prayer like that, it can be very serious. This came after many months of interaction. But I sensed that their hearts were not right toward God. And they were believers, but they were helping the enemy a whole lot more than they were helping God's side. It was a few weeks after beginning to pray that prayer in earnest that those five or six families, one Sunday, all decided to leave. And all I had done during that time was simply pray, Lord, change their hearts or get them out of here. The very week that they left, the church attendance went up by 10 percent and the offerings went up by 10 percent. It was very much like the sin and the camp went away and i realize that that is its jesus church and jesus said i will build my church and sometimes we have to pray the hard thing so that the work of Jesus can go forward. I said, I've only prayed this a few times because the type of prayer you pray, you see people go to go to be with the Lord. One time we had a major blockage in our youth ministry and we worked with this leader for a year and a half to try to, to get him to come on board with where we were trying to go. I finally shared with the young intern that was working in that area that we needed to pray. Lord, change his heart or get him out of here. Within a week of beginning to pray that prayer in earnest, you this know guy how- lost his job was transferred and in two weeks. He was a thousand miles away. You know how 100, 100 kilometers. Away. Just because you're in church planting does not mean that you will not have challenges to your leaders. One of the advantages of church planting is you don't have to inherit your predecessor's problems. The disadvantage is every problem you have, you created. Number seven. Invest in the next generation of leadership to realize that your job as a pastor, if you're a pastor, is found in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul said to Timothy, the things you've heard in me, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, oftentimes we think that verse to be a verse on discipleship. I would suggest that you look at the context more clearly. Paul is talking to Timothy, the pastor, telling him to raise up other pastoral leaders who in turn can raise up other pastoral leaders. And you look at the context of that verses that immediately follow, and you realize it talks about the cost of full-time service in ministry. I would suggest to you, if you re- look at that chapter two of Second Timothy, that it is not a verse about discipleship. It is a verse on church planting. It is the nature of the church to grow and reproduce itself. And it is the responsibility of pastoral leaders that can raise up other pastors who in fact can start and pastor other churches. You realize, of course, that you and I are Christians today because the church has faithfully reproduced itself through the centuries. And I personally do not want to be a part of a church that does not multiply itself. How would you like to have the history of your church be written up in this way? Here is where the chain of Christianity stopped. The church was growing and reproducing itself quite well and multiplying itself until it came to this particular church, which did not reproduce itself, and so therefore Christianity died out. I do not want to be a part of a church that's, that it goes down in church history as a dead end. I want to be a part of a church... That is a part of the ongoing work of God in advancing his kingdom. I want to be a part of a church that is so vitally and vibrantly in love love with God. And God is so vibrantly at work in transforming people's lives that they are empowered to go out and experience and help others to experience transformed lives through God. And to see churches and groups get started and multiplied all over the place. Because that is the very nature of the church and it is the responsibility of pastoral leadership to invest in the next generation. One of the things that I that I always wanted to do is make sure that I raised up at least one person in the church that could do what I do. And so I continually sought to develop people for ministry. One of those gentlemen was a fellow named Rob and Each year I would do an assessment and think about where he was and what new challenges he needed to develop more fully. And my goal was to raise him up to his fullest potential. After several years, I realized that he was ready to become a senior pastor. He was my most valuable staff member. He was my good friend. And yet I began to pray and and contemplate asking him to leave the church. Because I did not want to hold him back from his full potential that God had given to him. So I began to think about praying about sending him out to start a new church. It was painful to me because I really needed him where he was. But I had a sense that I must release him. And so I began to think about these things. Began to pray for numbers of months. And it was a few months after that, the Lord seemed to tap me on the shoulder. And he said, Bob, you're right. Rob is ready to be a senior pastor. And you need to leave. <laughs> And God called me very specifically to this ministry that I am now doing. And I handed the baton to Rob. And in the next three years, the church doubled. And it planted a couple more churches. In fact, he planted a church two months after taking over as senior pastor. It took off. Don't you hate when that happens? (laughs) I was holding it back as I was starting to get more and more involved in a broader ministry outside of the scope of my church. It is a responsibility that we have to raise up others that will go beyond. There's a church in New York. It was a Spanish speaking church and it was pastored by one guy and this church never got large. But over the years, this church planted 27 other churches. This pastor kept starting churches and giving away people and leaders and resources to keep starting more and more churches. This did it so many times and gave away so many people that finally, after giving birth to its 27th church, it could not survive. And the church died. And you say, how sad. Not in the least. They had a memorial service for that church that died. And the pastor, this old pastor, was sitting on the first row in a gymnasium. Where throughout the day, 5,000 people came to pay respects to the mother church that had given its life. And person after person after person. They I In terms of how God had changed their life, how they had come to Christ through the faithfulness of this mother church. And that old pastor sat there and was able to just just wept all day long tears because God gave him an opportunity to see a glimpse of his reward that he's going to have in heaven. In the United States, there are many pastors that are far more famous than known. But when it comes time for God to pass out rewards to pastors, guess who's going to be near the front of the line? Not the ones you see on TV, but we're going to see pastors like this one. From a human perspective, we're not successful. But from God's perspective, we're immensely. See, didn't Jesus say that unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone? But if it'll fall in the ground and die, it will bear much fruit. And I challenge you as pastors and as church leaders, to have your eyes be so much on the harvest and to allow God to break your heart over what breaks His heart that you will do whatever it is God is asking you to to reach the harvest and to start and multiply cell groups and to start and multiply.